Hi, this is a welcome to Reasonable Unnecessary, Australia's period podcast series on everything you ever wanted to know about the National Disability Insurance Scheme. I'm your host, Dr. Joel Teleporis, and today's episode is all about housing. You will learn about recent changes to specialist disability accommodation, and you'll also hear about some great initiatives here at the Summer Foundation to get people housing suited to their needs. My first guest today is one of my favourite people on the planet, Luke Rocher, CEO of Summer Foundation. Hi, Luke, and welcome to the show. Hi, George. Thanks for having me. So, for people that don't know what specialist disability accommodation is, and I had to learn accommodation, but we'll have to look at that. I prefer it housing, so if people that don't know what it is, can you give us a very simple explanation? So, specialist disability accommodation is a new concept in the NDIS, and that concept is that people with disability who have very high support needs and what the NDIS call extreme functional impairments are able to access some additional funding in the NDIS to pay for the cost of their housing. And that's really in recognition that housing for people that have very high support needs is likely to be more expensive than the average Australian because of the cost of more accessibility or technology within the home. So what the NDIS does is provide people with disability in the scheme who meet those requirements with an additional payment in their NDIS plan that they can then go out to the housing market and find a housing property that meets their needs that's enrolled as specialist disability accommodation. It's the best explanation I've ever had. <sighs> now, obviously, like everything to do with the NDIS, there's a bunch of rules. Um, and, and they call it the SDA framework, yeah? And there's, under that, there's a set of rules that you need to, that you need to follow. One of them is um, you need this particular level of impairment, um, and depending on, on your impairment, there's different types of, um, of um, housing that you might be able to access. Um, there's one called Robust, I believe, and then there's well, if you have one, there's, there's one that's had to do with um, uh, people who um, might have not high needs, um, but um, improved livability, I think they call it. Um, so there's a range of different types. Now, for people that want to understand uh, the framework, um, can you just give us an overview of how it works? Sure. So maybe I can talk just a little bit about the, the substance of specialist disability accommodation, how it's designed, and then talk just a bit about the process and the kind of architecture that sits there to support this new idea of specialist disability accommodation. Okay. So on the substance of how, what does the framework say? So there's a couple of really important concepts in specialist disability accommodation that are quite new and different compared with most of the previous ways that housing was funded for people with disability prior to the NDIS. So I think there's three really important things to think about in SDA that are quite different to how people might have understood the pre-NDIS system. So the first one is that funding for housing and funding for support have been separated. 
in the NDIS. So this idea of separation of housing and support is designed to give people with disability more choice and control because they can use their housing subsidy SDA to be able to purchase or um, have access to a property and then if they don't like the support provider, because the funding is separated, they can choose to change that support provider over time. So that's a really important change in, in SDA, and that's something that the framework sets out really clearly that this is a housing-related subsidy, not a subsidy for the cost of support. And the second thing that's changed in SDA is this idea of portability, that the SDA payment sits with the person with disability and they can go out and shop in the market and find a whole range of housing providers delivering a whole range of different types of housing and can negotiate with them to access SDA that meets their needs. So that means that people with disability have a lot more choice and are a lot more empowered to shop around in the market. So that's another important thing that the framework sets up. And then the third thing is that this subsidy is paid uh, kind of month by month, year by year to the housing provider. So rather than an upfront grant, which most of the previous investments in disability housing were made using upfront grants, this requires a provider to continue to claim through the portal each year for the cost of that housing. So that means that providers really have a strong incentive to make sure that what they're delivering is really high quality right here and now, but is also going to be relevant and lasting and high quality into the future. So that encourages them to really make sure that they're building for the needs that people with disability have, that they're investing in the kind of accessibility that people will need over time, and that they maintain that property. Because if they don't, the person with disability who lives there might move out and move to a different property. So there's some important things that the framework set out. The NDIS then looks at the framework and creates some prices for specialist disability accommodation. And so NDIA set out the subsidy that, or the price that uh, providers will be able to access uh, to be able to pay for that housing. And that's a relatively complicated formula. Um, and there's a nifty little price calculator on the NDIS website for providers. So that's a bit of a summary about what the framework itself says. And then I guess just a comment on the process, because this is quite different to the way that uh, other supports in the NDIS are set up. So SDA is just one support in the mix of all the things that the NDIS pays for. But SDA is the only support that has both a whole framework agreed by COAG, by the Disability Reform Council. It's the only support that then also has a rule, what's known as a, um, a specialist disability accommodation rule, which is a piece of legislation that sets out how this whole thing will work. And then it's the only support in the NDIS that has its own price catalogue just, um, just for SDA. So there's a whole bunch of, um, I guess, bits of this architecture that are agreed by the states and the Commonwealth through the framework, by the Commonwealth Parliament through the rule, and then the NDIA through the pricing for SDA. So that means that there's a lot of safeguards for those investing in this sector in the sense that there can't be quick radical changes to the way this works. This is a long-term commitment from government and it's got that certainty that it's going to be long-term because to change it requires the agreement of all of the states and also the parliament. Speaking of changing it, there were some problems like that in the um, initial rollout that it's been known for just over, what, two or three years now. Um, and we were seeing that people weren't necessarily um, Kevin funding, so we know that very few um, young people who are stuck in hands care were Kevin funding um, originally. 
Um, and we were saying that there were a lot of uh, uh, providers that were really concerned that there weren't going to be enough people with these parents that weren't necessarily um, building lots of, lots of SDA. Now, um, there was a review quite recently, and that review was really aimed at addressing some of the issues. Um, could you maybe tell us a little bit about um, the, the changes that resulted from that review and, and let us know what you, you think about those changes? Yeah, George, that's right. So there's the idea of specialist disability accommodation, the funding for SDA has been around for a few years now. And it's a really big change, like we were talking about. It's a really new way of funding housing for people with disability. And that change takes a while for providers, for investors and banks, and for people with disability um, and their supporters to be able to really understand what this opportunity looks like. So we didn't see as much growth in SDA in the first kind of few, um, the first few months or the first year and a bit as we've been hoping. And some of that um, led governments to say, actually, we should step back and just have a quick review, um, see how things are going, see where we could make this better. So they they did that throughout the second half of 2018. They got KPMG to go around the country, run a whole range of forums, talk to a lot of people with disability, talk to providers, talk to banks, talk to governments, look at what's going well, what's not going so well. So there was a lot of listening that went on. And then we think that what they've done in response to that is really going to make a big change to how SDA works. So a couple of the changes that the government's announced um, are really important for people with disability to understand. So one of those changes is that there's now a, a national process for determining SDA eligibility and that process will be fast-tracked for people with disability who are in a really urgent need of getting their housing situation sorted. So for people that are in a hospital bed, people that are in an aged care facility, they'll be fast-tracked through this new national process for determining SDA eligibility. And then a whole range of other cohorts, including people that are currently in group homes that want to change their housing situation, people that are at home with aging parents that are looking to access SDA, those people can also access this new, um, this new panel process that will make decisions a lot quicker. So we think that we'll go from seeing only a couple of dozen people in aged care facilities approved with SDA to a whole range of people being approved over the next few months as this new national panel process works its way out. So that was a really big change uh, in the framework review and it's one that I think will mean that the experience and the pathway for people with disability to get this approved will be much, much faster. And I know that in season one we did an episode about uh, uh, people having to um, do a housing plan um, and one of the things that we said is that you have to make sure that you exhausted all other options. Um, before applying for SDA. My, my reading of the changes is that they're not going to be quite as strict on that. Um, and also that there's um, um, the opportunity to um, have an SDA payment in your plan without necessarily having found um, SDA property. Yep, that's spot on, George. So there are two other really important changes in the framework review. So just to recap on those, so one is that going forward people don't need to have explored in detail every other option that might have existed except for SDA. So 
the rules will stay the same, that you've still got to have shown that SDA is the right response, that private rental or um, public housing isn't the right response for you. And, and that's still something that will be there, but that's something that can be dealt with really quickly because we know that for most people with disability, for example, who use a wheelchair, there's not very many accessible private rentals out there. So rather than having to go through and meticulously look at every single listing that might be on domain at any particular point in time, this new process will, will be much more um, accommodating of the fact that we know that those options don't really exist for people with disability. And then on the second change that's in there about getting SDA approved before there's a vacancy, we sometimes saw that people get stuck in this kind of circular loop because the NDIA sometimes said to people, oh, you have to have an SDA offer in order to get SDA in your plan. And then providers would say to people with disability, we can't offer you a property until you've got the payment in your plan. So people got stuck in this kind of vicious cycle. And what the NDIA said is, we don't need people to have an offer anymore. We can just assess whether or not someone's eligible for SDA in principle and make that decision and then they can go out and look for a property. So that's going to mean that what we'll hopefully see is a whole lot of people with disability pre-approved for SDA being able to go out and shop in the market and talk to providers about what they want and get providers to build what they want to build rather than providers having to really take a stab in the dark and build some things and hope that that's what people with disability want. That's really good because that also means that people can get onto the housing hub and look for property or they can um, uh, basically know that the, the funding is attached to them in their plan and that they've got that option. Um, and, and I think that's a really um, important change. Is there anything else that you think is important as well about the framework? So there's a range of changes in the framework from this review that affect providers and, and those that are providing the finance to build SDA properties. So I'm sure that for those of those people listening to the podcast who fall into that category, they will have been following closely what the changes were on pricing. I think just one message to make about that is that the review also acknowledged that some of the prices weren't quite right in order to provide a sufficient amount of money to pay for housing in what has, what has been a quickly growing housing market, a growing cost in the housing market across Australia over the last few years. So what had happened was that some of the SDA prices got out of step with the growth in the housing market. And sometimes people with disability were approaching providers to build housing in places where the provider would say, well, we'd be happy to build a property there, but the price that NDIA will pay isn't going to be sufficient given the high cost of land in, in some of those locations, particularly in capital cities. And the pricing review recognised that there might be some of the prices in SDA that aren't quite high enough to meet what's been a quickly growing housing market. So one of the things that people with disabilities should know is that even if you've been out and had some conversations with housing providers in the past about what you needed, that there's currently some reviews of that pricing going on. So if providers said they couldn't build you what you felt like you needed in the past, it's worth having that conversation again in the next couple of months because some of those prices will change and that will create some more options for people with disability. That's what I mean. Some people might live in the market areas and, uh, and, and uh, it's good to know that hopefully that there will be more options for people in terms of um, where they can expect to see future SDI properties. That's right. I think one important thing to remember is that just like everything in the US, in the NDIS, the insurance component of the NDIS plays an important role here as well. So when the NDIA is looking at is specialist disability accommodation 
a reasonable and necessary support. Just like everything else in the NDIS, they're thinking about the insurance part of the NDIS, the I in NDIS, and they're thinking about if we fund the cost of you living in this area, which has really good access to public transport, where there's a supermarket close by, where there's opportunities for participation in the community close by, that means that the person's experience, both for their outcomes and the cost of other supports, their, their outcomes will hopefully improve and the cost of other supports might reduce, because rather than having to get in an accessible taxi every single time you want to leave your house to go somewhere, well, rather than needing a support worker or an assistant to take you out to go somewhere, that SDA should enable people to live in really high amenity locations that reduces the cost of that support. So certainly people with disability that are looking at SDA options should be really expecting that those options will give them access to the community in a much more cost-effective way because hopefully those SDA options will be close to the things that people with disability need like transport, like supermarkets and access to other community amenities. Yeah, we also know that people have for that as well. Uh, the the image with their friends and family, um, and and we want to see um, SDA in all parts of the country, um, so that people can yeah to sort of continue uh, to remain living in, in the community that they that they like or if they had their communities and just get out of there. That's right. So that's and that's the idea of mobility with SDA is that you know that you should be able to move around and there shouldn't be huge barriers to being able to to move around. So hopefully SDA means that some people who might currently be in you know a group home or a supported accommodation um, um, property that isn't really meeting their needs because it's not in the place they want to be, it's not with the people that they want to be with, and it's not um, using a support model that gives them the best opportunity to live independently that everyone in a group home that is experiencing any of those issues should really be thinking about, well, what else could be possible? What would meet my needs better? And going on to the housing hub and looking at the vacancies that are there gives you a really great way just to expand your thinking about, well, where could I be living and what do those other options look like? Absolutely. Do you think that more needs to be done in this area? Whether you are happy with all of the recommendations? Are there any changes that you would have liked to that were not included? Well, there's one really important change, George, that's um, that we still need to make and we still need to get um, get across the line. And it's part of the way there, but we still have to do a bit more work to get it all the way across the line. And that's about allowing families to live together in specialist disability accommodation. And not just families, but also any person um, that a person with disability might want to live with. So the way the SDA rules are currently written, it makes it really tricky for providers to allow a person with disability to move in and also have their partner or their children or some, some other person that the participant might want to live with move in because the SDA rules in lots of ways were designed around the idea that everyone that lives there would access the specialist disability accommodation payment. And certainly from Summer Foundation's work, we know that a lot of people in aged care who are in the NDIS have a partner or they have children, or they just have a preference for living with another person, but that that person might not need to have a disability. And so currently the rules make it difficult to make that happen. One of the great outcomes from the review was that government said, yes, we want to be able to allow families to live together. And we want to make that happen because that's good for people with disability. 
um, but we just hadn't worked through enough exactly what changes were needed to make that happen. Um, because as you said before, George, it's a really complicated policy with lots of kind of regulation around it. So they didn't want to change the regulation and make the problem worse or not quite fix the problem. So this is the one area where there's a bit more work to do over the next couple of months, which is to work out which changes to the rules need to be made so that people with disability who get the SDA payment can live in that property with whoever they choose uh, and that that choice can include family and people without disability in the same way that every Australian should have that opportunity to live with their family uh, or with a person of their choosing. Absolutely, and I remember when I first um, had some of the case studies around um, you know, people who had uh, kids and you know, suddenly found that there were other options um, for them to live with their, with their family. And just thought, this, this is a lot. And we need to fix this, and we've been fighting this one for a while, haven't we, Luke? And we're getting closer, but hopefully um, we'll get there eventually. That's right. Well, hopefully we're going to get there in the next couple of months. So I would say if you're a person with disability out there who wants to live with a family member or wants to live with someone who doesn't have SDA, you should be absolutely looking for those options and um, telling providers that this is something that will be possible because there's a really clear commitment that this is going to get fixed. It's just about working out the legal wording that will make it get fixed in the SDA rules. And so that change is um, intended to take effect around the middle of the year. Uh, once this kind of finer detail is worked through. But my message to people with disability would be, this is, you know, come the middle of the year, it's absolutely the case that um, there'll be solutions to how families can live together in SDA. So you should be thinking about those options and working on those options so that when that change is made, um, that you're able to um, very quickly move into the kind of housing setting that you want to live in. Absolutely. And you are the world's well expert on specialist disability housing. Uh, thank you for joining us. Well, I'm sitting here with you, George. I feel like I can't be the world's expert on specialist disability <laughs> accommodation when I'm here with you because you're such an expert on all these things. Oh, well, I've learned for the best time. Thanks for your time, Thank you for joining us. Thanks, George. Now that we have a good understanding of SDA, let's look at how you can find some housing with a bit of help from Alyssa Rathbone, General Manager, of Housing Matching here at Summer Foundation. Hi, Lisa, welcome to the show. Thanks, George. It's great to be here. So tell us, what do you do here at the Summer Foundation? Sure. Um, at the Summer Foundation, my role is to be the General Manager of Housing Matching. Uh, and what that means is we're uh, looking at setting up a new social enterprise that's all about how we find appropriate housing for people with disability and actually put the uh, decision-making in their hands, so provide opportunities for people to find a house for themselves. Wow, excellent. And I know that um, you um, head up to pretty awesome projects and one of them's called the Housing Hub. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, sure. Uh, so the Housing Hub's been going now for about 18 months and it was started really uh, to look at you know, how do we, with the new NDIS that's come in and um, with housing now being really different to what it was before, so going from being allocated to people with not much choice to now people having full choice over where they live, who they live with, we needed to create something to sit in between the people who have the housing and then the people who are looking for the housing. So we created the housing hub. Wow, so it's like a Tinder for housing. Oh, no. <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> that sounds fun. So tell me, um, what kind of housing can people 
expect to find on this Tinder for housing? <laughs> sure. Uh, so we actually want it to be all sorts of housing. So I guess just like Tinder is for all sorts of people. Uh, it's it's all sorts of housing where people can go on and look for what's right for them. So I guess people with disability are all really different and have different needs. So we're not um, partitioning it down to a certain group of people. So accessible housing, some people will say disability friendly housing. Uh, so all the different types are welcome to list on our website and for people to go and have a look at. Uh, and I guess some more specific examples of the types of housing would be um, people might have um, a house for rent or for sale. They might have an apartment. It could be a share house situation where people want to find a flatmate or it could be a, a group home or um, more traditional um, different accommodation. Okay. Um, and my understanding is that a lot of the um, current um, housing options that the government offers um, and along that kind of managed by the government, in fact, they're, they're going to be able to come to the housing hub to see what's available. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely, George. So in the past where if you uh, needed a house uh, as a person with disability, you could put your name down and be allocated a property by the government. So that's no longer the case. And actually housing providers now need to um, match up with housing seekers to um, both decide where people want to live and who they want to live with. Okay, we're talking about people who have NDIS-funded uh, specialist disability accommodation funding. Is that right? So people that have um, a payment in their plan that's called SDA, where previously that, that, that funding would have been um, used for, say, a, a placement group home where the government says, hey, Joe, there's a house in Lordy Alec. Um, yep, it's vacant. Come and move in. We're turning the tables on that, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. So for people with specialist disability accommodation in their plan with the NDIA, um, people actually have the chance to get that approved and have that money allocated to them as a person to then choose where they want to live and who they want to live with. So, yeah, no more situation where someone calls you up and says, you now need to live in Mordialic with um, these other people. Uh, you can actually use your money in your plan and decide where you live. That's excellent. Yeah, it's great. That's really good. So it's, it's good for people that have uh, these um, payments in that plan, but it's not just for them. Well, I'm hearing that there could be other options. Um, so if someone had built a house and that house happens to be accessible, they might advertise on the, on the hub and there it is. Yeah, absolutely. We want to make it as broad as possible so that we are serving all people with a disability, not just the people who have the specialist disability accommodation in their plan. So people might have different accessibility features like you've mentioned in a house and it might be for sale and they might say, actually, you know, I'd like to advertise it on here, not just on the mainstream website so that those features can go to use. So it's been a real problem um, where a lot of accessibility features are developed but then maybe go unused um, in different situations. So we want to try and make that discoverable as well. That's fantastic. Now, I've, I've visited the housing hub a few times. Yeah. I've seen it go through various iterations. I know the, the first version was not that great, and then there's a second version, and that one's been a bit better. But I understand that there's a version three 
coming out. Is that right? Yeah, that's right, George. So, yeah, like you say, the first um, couple of versions have been what we would call a minimum viable product. So um, where we really wanted to have a website that we put up and we test out to see if this does actually serve the needs of people with disability uh, looking for our accommodation. Um, so we have found that thousands of people, almost 30,000 people have used it. So we're now at the point where we can say, let's do the next version. So we're calling that version three at the moment, not, not the most fun fun title um, but it's going to be a great website so our whole focus is going to be on the features um, for people seeking housing so that when you go to the website and have a look you can type in what it is you're looking for what sort of house you want who do you want to live with where do you want it to be what are the kind of features and you can actually set up a profile to save that in the website oh, that's very tinder isn't it Although I have to say, I haven't used Tinder myself. Oh, I haven't either. <laughs> I've had friends. I've had friends who got married on Tinder. <laughs> uh, yeah, so. The... So you have friends that got married through Tinder? Yeah, just two weeks ago. Oh, wow. I had a few years, so it's looking good. <laughs> um, but with the profile, the really cool thing about this. And if it doesn't last, I'm just going back on Tinder. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's going to last. It's going to be fine. Yeah, I just yeah, got married, yeah. George. Shout out to them. Yeah, no, I won't tell them okay. that. No. <laughs> um, sorry, so if I go back to the profile, um, what I think is really cool about this, and hopefully everyone else will too when they use it, is at the moment when you go and you search, you have to search each time. But in the future, if you set up a profile and tell us what you want, what we can do is each time you come to the website, it can just tell you, hey, here's some new listings that have come on that match what you said you want. Or you could even ask it to email you and tell you when new listings uh, come onto the website. So it's much more about a good user experience for people with disability um, to really get the information uh, around what, what it is they're looking for. Oh, that's really good because that means that you, know, you don't have to be on the website every day. Yeah. But, you know, you might get an email that says there's a, a two-bedroom you know, house in an area that you've chosen and you'll be alerted to it. Yeah, exactly. That's really good. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I think it's much better experience. So, like, less work that you need to do if you're looking for a house. Yeah. Uh, and also, you'll be able to communicate through the website. So, if you do see something that you like or you might have a question, you can actually email the housing provider through the website and ask your questions on the platform. So, you don't have to do that separately and outside of the system. That's really good. And I, I saw that there was some pretty uh, awesome uh, options up there. I was wondering if you wanted to tell us a bit about the the ones that are worth looking at now. Like, um, I saw that there's some housing going up in Oakley, and that, that, that looked really cool, close to Chadstone. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. We are um, actually, we've got advertised at the moment, there's 10 brand new apartments in Oakley. Uh, and so they're in a brand new development um, and there'll be 10 apartments peppered throughout that development for people um, who have uh, or are likely to get that SDA funding we were talking about before. And, and peppered means spread out throughout oh, the apartment, yeah. doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, so it's not like... Uh, I once had the term salt and peppered and I was like, oh, that sounds tasty. But it, it, it means that, um, you know, there's like 100 apartments and then there's 10 that are... Um, specially built for people with um, special disability accommodation. Yeah, that's right. And it means that they're all over the, the, the 100 developments. So they're not all next to each other and they're on different floors, you know, so they're all over. So that way you, um, people who live in those apartments are living alongside everyone else and can participate in the community and 
um, you know, whatever they want to do, just like everyone else. That's great. And are you excited about any other, yeah. any other ones on there? Sure. So there's um, those 10 in Oakley, which is in Melbourne. So like you said, just near Chadston. So that's 10 for people with um, high physical support needs and who would like to live alone in their own apartment. Um, likewise, there's another 10 in Brisbane at the moment that we're looking at with a similar arrangement, so 10 apartments, and then also in Sydney, um, in Penrith, out in the west, so another 10 apartments there. So all beautiful, brand new, um, which are really great examples for people um, to have a look at and see if it's right for them. That's fantastic. Now, for uh, our listeners who um, are familiar with high physical support needs, um, can you just maybe tell us sort of how would someone know that they had high physical support needs? I mean, I know that the, the NDIS will make a determination um, based on the person's uh, support needs and their functional impairment, to use the, the jargon words that we love using. But for people that, that just want to understand what that means, can you help to explain that for us? Yeah, I can give a little bit of explanation. I think what you just said too is, is really good, George, and they're the technical definitions that the NDIA work to. I think people who maybe um, can't use all of their limbs all the time and actually need some support from somebody. Um, and so I think one of the ways to think about it is how many hours a day of one-to-one support you might have. So we usually say if you have over six hours a day, um, that's just one way of working it out. But if you are someone who has a lot of one-to-one support um, and you hear about this and think, yeah, I, I would be interested in that, you can certainly um, contact us and we can talk through in more detail with one of our team. But also on our website, if you prefer to look at a website instead of calling somebody, um, you can do that as well. And there's um, information about the detailed um, eligibility criteria that the NDIA put out for that as well. And I recently visited one of those um, high physical support needs apartments and what was really obvious to me was that um, it was really built for someone who had uh, a large wheelchair. So it meant that, you know, I could turn around in an apartment and not take down half the wall. This is generally what happens in a standard apartment. Um, the bathroom was amazing in that it was very open and um, quite wide um, in the sense that, you know, you often need a wheelchair and a host and a person and a, a, a chance table and all that stuff that we often need um, and there was room for that as well. It was obvious that you could use the, the kitchen so even though it looked quite like a regular kitchen there were certain features so I saw that the the drawers came out from under the, the sink and somehow I could get under there. Yeah. push it back in and you yeah. can look any different to anyone yeah. else. Yeah, it's been really well thought through and, yeah, what I understand is that sport is what would have been a two-bedroom apartment and completely um, off the plan, redesigned, so that you have your kitchen all along one side and actually a lot of space to move, like you said, if you are in a wheelchair. Um, that you can move around um, and even things around being able to use the balcony all the heights being adjusted so people can go in and out and use the whole apartment a step free balcony what an innovation yeah that was cool yeah. and, and the doors all open using um, you know different technology as well so you don't need to worry about opening the doors or your blinds and the other thing that I thought was cool was um, that um, in the bedroom 
it was a bit creepy, but it was also good. There was like a um um a, a sound oh, yeah. system where um you could call out for assistance. Yeah, the voice activated. Ah, and I was like, that's amazing that you yeah you can be in your own home, um and then the support is available in a in one of the apartments on um on site. Yeah. So then, that's right. So the on-site support is really important. Um, so for these apartments that we visited, as well as the other ones I mentioned before, the model they all have is that there's 10 apartments and there's always an 11th apartment with someone there 24 hours a day um, where you can call out for that support if you need it. And that's in addition to the support that people would already choose for themselves um, as they one-to-one day support. And that would provide quite a bit of saving for the government, wouldn't it, in the sense that um, it means that for people that need overnight assistance, there's that available that can be shared between 10 people. Yes, that's right. So you yeah. share between the 10 people. Problem there is you all need to choose one provider, is that right? Oh, yeah. So the way it works is there's the on-site support that people, um, the 10 people all, I guess, have a vote on and they decide as a majority. Um, which provider it will be, but everyone absolutely chooses their own um, full support organisation who's with them most of the time. Oh, so people have a choice in that. Right, so you, you can um, use the backup support yep. and, and all decide who, who provides that. Yep. But for your plan support, for yourself, yep. you can choose whoever you want. Yeah, whoever you want. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Now, the other thing that you have up is um, a housing matching service. Sounds, sounds quite interesting. That's interesting, yeah. Would you like me to talk about it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is a service where um, the housing providers generally at this point will come to us and say, we've got, um, say, 10 properties like in Oakley. Uh, and could we uh, find some people who would like to live in those and also who are eligible to receive the SDA funding. So this is largely for um, the properties that are under that SDA category that you explained. Uh, and so as they're developed, we then do um, work in the community. So we have our team members out in the community all across um, you know, those three states I mentioned. So in Queensland, New South Wales and Victoria at the moment, and we really hope to be expanding into the other states later this year, um, running community engagement forums and education um, sessions so people um, can find out and know about what is SDA and what are the housing options available and how you go about getting um, that SDA into your NDIS plan. Uh, so we do all that and then people will come forward and say, I'm really interested in you know, having my name put forward for one of these properties and then we work with that person to understand their needs and to make sure it is um, the right place, that that's what they want and that they can get that funding. So you're like a real estate agent for... For um, specific accommodation. Yeah, kind, yeah. kind of, but not exactly like right. a real estate agent. But yeah, kind of like we. How are you different to real yeah, estate? Agent? Well, the way we would say we're definitely different, and this is what's unique about Summer is that we're about the, we we represent people with disability, and that's um, one of our core values for our team is that the people with disability are at the centre of our work, mm-hmm. and that's that's who we look to see and what they need. So while the housing providers will ask us to, to support them to find people, we're really clear on our approach is that um, we don't 
just work for them and get what they need. We actually say, what do people with disability want? And if they look at one of the properties and that's right for them, that's fine. But also there are other options as well. So we're pretty clear that that's who we work for here. Right. And so if someone listening is thinking, oh, I'm looking for somewhere to, to live and I, I need high physical support um, housing, um, what's the process? So I'm thinking that obviously they, they call the Sun Foundation and ask for a visa. Yep, that's fine. Yeah? yeah. And and then and then what happens? Is it a long process? Is it do they have to fill out lots of forms? And <laughs> yeah, we try to make it... it as easy as we can, but there are forms, yes. Oh, there have to be forms. Yeah, so I think the first thing I'd say, if you are sitting there and listening and saying, oh, I think I would be likely to get high physical support, even if you're not sure, like still don't be put off by that terminology. You can give us a call um, and speak to the Summer Foundation. You can ask to speak to me if you want, um, but we also have people in the team um, across the country, like I said, who can have a chat with you on the phone is the first step and just understand what your support needs are, um, what sort of apartment or house or home are you looking for, um, where is that and understanding your different needs. And then from there, if yeah, if we do work through that with you and it seems like it's the right thing for you, um, we can then ask you to fill out some forms, um, which is where you tell us a bit about yourself, what your needs are. And then we also ask for things um, like your um, OT reports and things like that so that we can then help your support coordinator to write your housing plan. So we need lots of that evidence and information that helps go into that and then that in the end, right at the end of the process, goes to the NDIA and that's what they approve so that you can get that funding and then move into the property. And if people are feeling a bit confused and not quite sure, uh, they, can, they can call you and, and have a chat. Um, do you have any advice for people who are sort of looking for housing that, that have high support needs? Any, any sort of tips or tricks? Uh, I don't know. I, f- I find that a little hard because I, I, I'm not a person with disability. So myself, I haven't got that lived experience. But I, I, guess, I guess what are you looking for from yeah. people who contact the service? What, what, kind of, what kind of things do people benefit from knowing? Yeah, I think knowing about, um, like, sort of having a think about first, like, what is it you really want from housing? What are your housing goals for yourself? Where do you want to live? That's a good start. Yeah, yeah. Who do you want to live with? Um, How does, like, where you want to live, like, make a difference? So, for example, if you want to live on your own in an apartment, how does that improve, you know, your ability to participate in the community or do the things you want to do in your life? I think things like that are really important. Um, And that's one of the first things that we work through. Um, when you do call up Um, and also yeah if you know about um, you might have already talked to your support coordinator about you know some of these things as well so yeah having whatever you've got ready. Yeah make sure that you've done a little bit of um, work maybe with your OT your occupational therapist to to work out the sort of housing needs um, and so support needs and the kind of equipment that you might need in the house, because I think that um, people need to remember that, that ultimately um, there's the house, um, but there's all the stuff that you need. So you might need um, a host, or you might need a certain type of bed. You need to make sure that you can get all this stuff into the where you're going to live. 
Yeah, so it's a bit of bit of preparation. Yeah, yeah. But we also, you know, if people want to, if they're maybe just thinking about it too, I don't want people to feel overwhelmed. So, you know, like I said, if you want to talk to someone, we can help work through that as well. Yes, and just so listeners know, um, everyone that I've met from your team is very friendly, very lovely people to work with, and so I'm sure they'll have a really good uh, experience. Yeah, thanks, George. I agree. I think they are, and that's what they're here for. So But I can't just sort of out. Exactly, that's right. Thanks for your time, Alyssa. You're welcome. Thanks for asking me. That's all we have time for on today's episode of Reasonable and Necessary, brought to you by the Summer Foundation. Check out our Facebook page, which is at Building Better Lives. You can find all previous podcasts and transcripts. We also really love hearing from you, so please leave your comments and suggestions for future episodes. Until next time, stay well and reasonable.